All right, Christine, let's start at the very beginning of your journey. Where are you from? Where were you born, raised? What kind of background? Um, great. I'm from, my, so I grew up in a small city called Sudbury, Ontario. It's about four hours north of Toronto. Mm-hmm. Uh, two older brothers and a very supportive mother and father who encouraged us to get involved in sports and to really work for what we wanted in our lives. My dad was an entrepreneur. Uh, my grandfather was an entrepreneur. And I followed the footsteps of both my brothers who um, were sort of entrepreneurial going going through high school and university. And in high school, um, I didn't I didn't want to work for anyone else, so I started my own lawn cutting business before I had a driver's license. I was walking through the neighborhoods um, cutting grass for anyone whose house I could get to by mm-hmm. walking distance. And um, through university, I, I went to Queen's University in Kingston where I studied commerce, but I uh, didn't do very well with my, my commerce degree. I, I passed and I got my degree, but... My marks were never great um, because I was actually running two businesses while I was in university. I ran a, a franchise of college propainers for three years, and I ran a custom clothing business. Um, and then after university, I moved to the big city of Toronto, and I didn't know a lot of people in Toronto and, and decided at that time, um, again, I wanted to run my own business. I didn't really know doing what, but I had heard about I had heard about a sport and social club. Actually, it was I believe it was called the Golden Gate Sport and Social Club, so down in your area. And um, I thought that would be something I could try. I loved sports. I loved connecting with people. Um, and so I thought that would be something I could try in Toronto because it would maybe help me to connect and meet with more people. It was sort of a looking for an opportunity within my own problem. And mm-hmm. so in 1996, I started up the Toronto Sport and Social Club. Um, over the last 25 years, um, we grew the Sport and Social Club to to being one of the largest uh, adult rec sports league providers in the world um, with getting over 150,000 people playing on an annual basis across nine different cities in Canada and the United States. And, um, and we were looking to, to grow a whole lot bigger. And then the pandemic hit, which forced us to stop our operations. We actually have not been able to operate um, our sports leagues for the last 13 months now. And it was during this time that we, we pivoted to creating a whole new organization called JAM. All right. So let's go back to 1996. Remember, we're doing an entrepreneur journey story. So let's, let's try to understand first what you did with the uh, sports league. Um, and then we'll come back to um, the post the pandemic time and how you pivoted and all that. So go back to 2006 and tell me what did you do to launch your sports league? Sure, yeah. So 19, 1996, um, I moved to Toronto, didn't know a lot of people. Uh, this was before – I didn't even have an email address. That's how early days this was, right before the Internet really was had become very popular. Um, I remember in January of 96, I picked up my address book, a paper book filled with all my contacts, and I just started, I picked up the phone and started calling people and saying, this is my idea. I'm thinking of running, you know, sports leagues for adults, soccer, basketball, flag football, ultimate frisbee, beach volleyball. Um, Do you think you'd like to sign up and play? And I I would call everybody in my address book, and and I I would say, if you know anyone who you think might be interested, um, will you send me their, their contact info. So I literally had friends faxing me their address book 
um, and then I would go through their address books, and I would call everyone in their address book, and I would tell them my idea. And I just kept doing that until I had about 800 names uh, in my on my list, and I wanted to send out a paper newsletter, um, mm-hmm. and I couldn't afford the, enough stamps for 800 newsletters. I could only afford 400. Mm-hmm. Luckily, my boyfriend at the time, um, who later became my, my business partner, um, he he ended up he was a semi-pro cyclist, so he delivered 400 of those news- newsletters by bicycle. Um, and, I, and I paid for stamps for the other 400. And so that was how we got our very first season off the ground. I, I sent out 800 newsletters. I ended up the week before I was ready to get the league started, I only had 13 teams signed up. And for what game? What, what sport? For uh, five different sports, soccer, flag football, basketball, beach volleyball, and ultimate frisbee. Um, and I only had 13 teams across five sports, which at $350 a team wasn't going to be enough to survive. So I was, I was pretty – I actually – I recall very clearly I fell down and, like, I was crying on my bedroom floor thinking, what have I done? I've spent the last four or five months trying to build this business. I quit, my, quit a job. What am I going to do? Um, and after crying for a couple hours, I just got up off the floor, picked up the phone again and said, hey, I, I called everyone and said, you know, you said you wanted to sign up. Now's the time. Like, you have to sign up now. And I basically converted that 13 teams to 52 teams within five days. And so that very first season, we had 52 teams signed up to play. That first year, we ended up with 250 teams um, over, over the course of the year. Um, and I ended up, you know, we, we had one car. I, I, I did it all, everything by myself. I had one car. Um, and I was out every night at all the games, and I would bring people. I had sponsors lined up before I even had people signed up to play. I, was, I had Power Bar and Gatorade and Wilson Sports Equipment as early day sponsors. And I remember, you know, get, going out to games and dropping off Power Bars and asking people if they were having fun. And then I'd encourage them to go back to the bar afterwards to socialize, and I would go back to the bars. I, so I was going nonstop. I was out at every game and out at the bars in the evenings trying to encourage people to sign up again for the next season and make sure they were having fun and enjoying themselves. Mm-hmm. And um, what um, the business model was the teams would pay a certain amount to be part of this league? That's right. They'd pay a team fee. At the time, back then it was about $350 for an eight- or ten-week season. Um, and there was no membership fee. They were just, it was a pay-as-you-play, so you'd sign up for a season. You could sign up by yourself as an individual, or you mm-hmm. could sign up as a full team. And we would, if you signed up by yourself, I would put you on a team with other individuals and make sure mm-hmm. you could meet new people. Mm-hmm. And then uh, over time, I mean, I didn't, I didn't spend a lot of money on advertising um, early days because um, I could, my, the word of mouth, we just started growing very quickly yeah. through word of mouth. And I was able to, any, any facility I could get my hands on to rent, whether it was a gym or a playing field, a softball diamond, I would, I would rent the, the space and um, I could fill through word of mouth because we were, you know, I was trying to deliver good customer service. And so over time, built it up to, um, well, in 2019, we had over 11,000 teams that played with us um, and it was an eight-figure, doing eight figures in revenue uh, I had 40 full-time employees and 350 part-time employees, so really grew a lot over those those years. Wow, that's amazing! So, um, give me the highlights of um, you know your strategy in growing this thing to that level. 
How long did it take you to get to a million in revenue, for instance? Um, it took me eight years to get to a million in revenue. Um, okay. And so, 96 you started, and 2004 you got to a million in revenue. Yeah, I would say about that, yeah. And was that all word of mouth still? To get to a million, it was all word of mouth? I, majority, yeah. I did the odd newspaper ad back then. Um, you know, we didn't have a website until probably 1999 or 2000, I think. Um, mm -hmm. and it was a really different time uh, to grow a business back then. But we, and, we did a um, little bit of newspaper advertising, but not much at all. It was mostly not much at all. At what point did you start really leveraging technology to do what you were trying to do? I think around 2004. I, I'm actually a bit foggy on this. Um, at, at one point, we did build our own platform, which um, we have our own proprietary platform that does everything from the front end registration, like you can pick whatever, you know, you, you sign up online, um, you get your, you put your whole team together online, You're, it's all automated, so your teams get reminders about their games, they, they can... Well, when did you start putting that automation in? Oh, gosh. Uh, I'm going to say probably 2004, 2000, and, yeah, it was probably about 2004-ish. So just around when you were hitting a million in revenue, you started putting leveraging technology more aggressively. Yeah, I mean, it, as soon as I mean, we tried to keep up with technology as technology was becoming more and more available. We obviously started to try and capitalize on on using technology. Um, you know, early days it was mailing mailing your registration form with a, in a piece of paper and a stamp, sending your check in. Well. Once we could start doing automated payments online and stuff, of course, we switched over, you know, but it, it was just we were in line with the times, I would say. Yeah, okay. And, um, and, and after you reached a million and, and you had some, uh, you know, all these technology pieces starting to come together, when did you start leveraging online marketing in, in growing your business? Because obviously your business is highly... Uh, amenable to online marketing. Yeah. So to be honest with you, um, I'll, for for the first ten years of running the business from from '96 to 2006, I was very invested in the business. I was very active um, and involved. But I also had three children during that time, and mm -hmm. I was I actually wanted my conscious choice was to have a lifestyle business. I wasn't trying to grow and be a massive organization. I wanted to yep. have a business that allowed me a lifestyle with kids, um, to be, sure. I wanted to be able to go on field trips and that kind of thing. Uh, so I chose to stay local. And mm -hmm. then from 2006 to 2016, I stepped back and I was not very involved in the day-to-day. -day. I took about 16 weeks a year off. I was working, like I had a great team. Um, the business ran without me. I didn't need to be around all the time. I was mm -hmm. working maybe 20 hours a week, um, just checking in on things, but I wasn't, I wasn't involved in day-to-day -day operations. And again, that was a conscious choice. But, okay. but at, by, 20, by 2016, uh, 20 years in, I now my kids were older. They didn't want to hang out with me as much. I was a bit <laughs> bored and needed new challenge. And I was debating selling the business. And I went and I really thought about what is what is the legacy that I want to leave. And it's interesting mm -hmm. that your um, to hear what what your vision is for a million by a million. Um, at the time, I, I sat down and I was thinking, you know, what I get most excited about is seeing people playing and seeing the impact we're having on people's lives. When I see 
a sport and social soccer game in action or an ultimate frisbee game and i can say to my kids oh look there's there's one of our games going on look at those people playing because of what we do it felt so good and at mm-hmm. that time we had about 70,000 people playing annually and so that was when i decided in 2016 instead of selling the business i wanted to grow it and yep. i decided to grow it through mergers and acquisitions so from 2016 to 2019, I did eight acquisitions and um, started to really expand the footprint of the cities we were in. And, I see. Uh, and so, and that was the plan was to grow even further that way. But in February of 2020, I had two acquisitions in the works that would have doubled the size of our organization. But because of the pandemic, both of those acquisitions we had to put on pause. And um, mm-hmm. so the intention is to grow again that way. And so to answer your question about marketing and digital marketing, it really wasn't until about 2016 when we started to really grow that we actually started to build a marketing team. We didn't even have a marketing team before mm-hmm. that. We everything was just let's let's deliver good customer service and word of mouth will will do what we need because we didn't want to expand outside of our local area. So what was your revenue in 2016 when you decided to change gear, switch gears? Um have to look that up um i mean somewhere probably i'm guessing i'm guessing let me just check um 2016 we were doing about six and a half million in revenue still Uh, substantial though pardon me Uh, that's still very substantial for a word of mouth business that's very substantial yeah, we grew. I mean, we, we cared a lot about our customers. We delivered good service, and um, and we built a nice-sized business just without, you know, it, it was great. It was a great lifestyle business, but it wasn't going to be uh, anything that, you know, it wasn't going to touch a million lives. And so it was, it was back in, it was in 2016 that I decided I want to get a million people playing. That's the legacy I wanted to leave was – let's grow this business to get a million people playing. And the only way to do that was going to be through acquisitions. And, and what was the model? Can you discuss the model of your acquisition? How, what, was, what was the financial engineering that you were doing with the acquisitions that you did? Um, well, some of them were, um, what, some of them was, was buying other clubs in our, in our city. Some were buying clubs in other cities. Um, some of them were full, majority of them were hundred percent purchases. Um, one of them was a majority share purchase because I wanted it was in a new area that I wanted to make sure we had um, relationships on the ground and work with I really wanted to work with a good partner who would also benefit from our growth by partnering mm-hmm. with us because we you know these many most of them were much smaller organizations than our own mm-hmm. uh, and that will be the goal going forward is to try and get to do acquisitions but in a partnership form so um, buy a majority stake so that we can use our head office services and get some um, synergies through shared services, but mm-hmm. still have a partner on the ground in local areas who's driving growth and who right. might benefit from being part of a larger organization. You know, the multiple, when you're a small organization doing, you know, under a million in revenue, um, the multiple isn't going to be as big that you would be valued at when you're doing you know, a lot, lot larger revenues than EBITDA. Um, so, so they would, ideally our partners will benefit from the model as, as well. I, I'm a big believer that the only good deals that happen 
are win-win. You, nothing, nothing good ever happens when you're in a win-lose scenario. So I'm a big believer in strong relationships and win-win opportunities in, in the form of partnerships. So, um, so to admit it out, your um, acquisitions are equity acquisitions, not cash acquisitions. Um, sorry, I'm not sure I understand. So, um, so are you when you? I'm trying to understand the financial engineering of the acquisitions. In that, are you? Paying cash to acquire these smaller clubs, or you're paying a cash equity split? How are, how are, what is no, the no, structure of the acquisition? We pay cash. You pay cash. Yeah. You pay cash, and uh, you become 100% owners of these clubs that you acquire, but you keep the on-the-ground staff uh, on so that they can continue on with their execution. Well, the, th- the truth is every acquisition is different. Um, not a single deal is the same. Having said that, majority of the deals we've done have been um, 100% acquisitions. And yes, kept we've, where, where it makes sense to do so, we would keep the staff on the ground um, if they're a good fit with our organization, um, which more often than not has been the case, which is great. Um, there was one of our one of our uh, deals was a majority share purchase. So we, we bought the majority of the organization, but kept the owner stayed on as a partner in their business. Mm-hmm. So they haven't okay. all been the same. They've, all, they've been different. Okay. It depends, on, it depends on what the owner's looking for, right? Right. Well, not only that, it, it also depends on what you're trying to accomplish because you know, cash acquisitions are easy to uh, rationalize on your balance sheet and your profit and loss and your valuation. Uh, if it's an equity acquisition joint venture with another player, where then that's n- not so easy to value. When you roll it all up, it's not that easy to value. That's why I was, I was probing that issue. Yeah, so, um, okay, let's get back to what happens when the pandemic strikes. What, uh, how, did you, how did you orchestrate and how did you move forward? So, the, yeah, when the pandemic hit, as I said, we had two deals that we were doing due diligence on um, that would have doubled the size of our organization by, by uh, May or June of last year. Um, and we had to put pause on both of those. And... Um, initially, I mean, we weren't really, we, we were anticipating that we would be shut down for a month or two. Um, mm-hmm. I wasn't ever anticipating that we would, ne- you know, here we are 13 months later, not able to operate majority of our sports leagues. We've had some operations in a few of our cities, but not, you know, Toronto is still our largest city and we haven't been able to operate in Toronto um, at all. So mm-hmm. um, we did have to, we initially we initially had to do temporary layoffs with majority of our team, which was one of the hardest days of my life, March 13th, 2020. Um, having said that, as soon as we understood that our the Canadian government was going to help with some wage subsidies, we were able to bring everybody back, which was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, I would say March and April, um, we were trying a lot of different things to see what, what could we do to stay alive, um, and we were trying 
you know, to keep our members engaged through play, um, we started offering virtual games, things like bingo, um, trivia night, online speed dating, a bunch of different events. And we realized it was really fun for people. Um, they were really enjoying the opportunity to, you know, it was a, it was a pretty difficult time last year when sure. all of a sudden everyone was locked in and not able to connect. And um, but, but our model wasn't going to be sustainable, uh, you know, charging people $5 for a night of bingo, you know, and you get 50 people here and 100 people there. It wasn't going to be sustainable in that way. However, I, we realized all the corporate teams that are now working remotely are struggling to connect through play. They're struggling to have, you know, what the natural bonding that used to occur when you'd walk to the elevator and grab lunch with someone or you'd, you know, literally stand at the office cooler and laugh about what you, what you watched on TV last night. Those types of encounters were not happening. So we, we started offering these corporate events, to virtual events to corporate teams, and we found that every team who did it the next day were calling us back and asking to book a package. You know, they'd try one event, and then they'd say, we want to book a package of 10, or we want to book a package of 20, or we want to give – we want to give these as gifts to our corporate clients. This is so much fun. These events are so much fun. So we realized we were onto something, and um, we had all of our full-time staff from the Sport and Social Club was was acting as hosts and trying, you know, running these events that we were doing. And we started innovating and creating more and more events. Um, so now we have, um, in addition to bingo, we you know we've named that tune bingo trivia. Um, escape rooms. We've created six different escape rooms. Um, we've got scavenger hunts. We created a game called, our most popular one is called Survey Says. It's a, it's a take on Family Feud. We've got um, Reveal of Fortune. It's like the Wheel of Fortune game and um, Jeopardy, which is like, you know, the Jeopardy game. We've got a bunch of different yeah. game shows. We have cooking classes, all sorts of really fun events. And um, by the end of the summer, I was, you know, we were hoping that we would get sports back up and running, and we realized, you know, our full-time staff can't be hosting these events all the time. We need, we need to build this as its own sustainable business, and so we hired, um, we've since hired over 40 out-of-work actors and comedians who have been crushed by the pandemic because they're not in the theater, and their side hustles, you know, restaurants and stuff, they don't have those jobs either. Um, so that's been amazing that we've been able to create work for out-of-work actors and comedians. We've hired, um, I think, over 40 hosts now in a number of countries, in Europe and Canada North and U.S., um, and we've done over 1,500 events for over 50,000 people um, in 20 different countries, We've and we hit um, a million in revenue last week in less than a year. So Fantastic. pretty exciting. Yeah. But your sports league business has come to a complete standstill. That revenue is completely uh, yeah. halted. It's gone. But it, it will come back. As soon as it will come back. Yeah, it will come back. Yeah. You just have to survive this period, and it will come back. Well, and I'll tell you, this creation – and, and by the way, the, so this new, this new offering that we created, we were – through the summer, we were calling it Sport and Social Club. You know, do you want to sign up for a Sport and Social Club evening of trivia or a luncheon last with your corporate team? And it was awkward calling it Sport and Social Club. So we actually right. created the new brand. Rebranded it. Yeah, we rebranded as Jam. And um, and it's been it's been taking off. It's really exciting to see that we found a new way to help people stay connected through play. The mission is the same. We're still looking to help connect a million people through play. And as when we get to have sports back, 
we'll just be that much faster because we'll have people playing sports and people playing um, online games. Yeah, very good. As well as, and we'll be able to do more corporate in real life games and events as well because we're building this corporate. We, we, you know, we were for 25 years we were a B two C business that was very geographically focused. Well, now we have a B two B business that's global. In addition, so the B the jam business is B two B. Yeah, it's B two B. How so? It's all corporate clients. It's corporate clients, I see. Yeah, we're doing all these all these events we're doing are all for corporate clients all over the world. I it's see. And yeah. how do you acquire customers? Do you uh, is there a, is there a huh digital marketing towards what? What are you looking for? Mainly. Um, Basically, any organization who cares about their people. So you're selling to HR? HR, culture committees, um, owners and CEOs um, that, that, have, that really care about their culture and having a, a team that is cohesive. So it's, it's team-building events. I see. It's, playful, it's all playful team-building events. Okay, very interesting. Got it. Um, and, and when you... We found that uh, I think we're, our our NPS score is sitting at 80 right now, which is a huge, like hugely. I'm so proud of our team that we have such a successful NPS score. Our um, we've I think over 70% of our events have been booked by recent clients now, and and we've got some big big corporate clients playing with us now: Apple, Google, Comcast, um, BMO, Scotiabank, Manulife, Pepsi, General Mills. I mean, some pretty massive organizations have found that it's important to make time for play for your people. And, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, when we connect through play, that's when bonds, friendships form. And, and we know that when people have friendships at work, they're more engaged and they're going to be more loyal and they'll be more productive. So mm-hmm. it's a real win-win um, opportunity. Yeah. And uh, when your sports league business comes back, uh, what level of revenue do you think you're going to be able to hit? Well, I mean, your guess is as good as mine in that, um, you know, it, de- it depends on a lot of things. Um, I think a lot of people have really been missing out on their soccer games or their weekly beach volleyball game, right? Like I think people yes. are anxious to get back. Yes, I know that for a fact that I have a son who plays rugby and he's, dying to go back to playing rugby. Mm-hmm. And so as long as we can get our facilities again, because um, that's the determinant is will, will facilities um, have us back and, is, you know, are they, are they ready to let, let us use their spaces again? And I think for outdoor, um, I'm, I'm really hopeful it won't be a huge issue, but um, I believe as soon as we're allowed to play, we'll have a lot of people ready to go. But we don't know when that's going to be. We don't know, you know, exact because we don't know when. We don't know exactly which facility. So it's it's going to be an interesting first year back. Um, but I'm not concerned long term. I really believe we'll get back and we'll be bigger than ever because we'll have a corporate side of things as well now, which is super exciting. And right. So you you for the next let's say for the next 12 months or 18 months, if you build the corporate business, that's going to be a substantial business in its own right. And uh, so how would you forecast 2023? Uh, How much do you think, uh, if you go back to normal more or less in 2023, what do you think you're going to do? 
Yeah, my goal for the vision for – I actually shared a vision with our team. Uh, our vision for 2023 is to be at $25 million in revenue or greater. Interesting. Very good. All right. Terrific. I wish you all the best. Huh? Thank you. I was going to say that was involved doing some acquisitions to get there, but that's the goal between growing right. jam and, and growing the acquisition business. Yeah. Very good. Very good. Let me see if we are connected. What is your email address, uh, Christy? Um, K-R-I-S-T-I dot H-E-R-O-L-D at sport, S-P-O-R-T, social, S-O-C-I-A-L, club, C-L-U-B, dot com. Just okay. so you know, we, one other little tidbit, as of next week, next week or the week after, we're going to be actually, we've made the decision, we're actually going to rebrand our entire organization as JAM. So okay. We have JAM. Jam sports and jam events. We will will be will always remain powered by Sport and Social Group, but we're going to just re rebrand and launch jam. new as good. jam. It's yeah. good branding actually. Yeah. Jam is a better brand yeah. than Sports Social Club. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> very all, good. All very nice to meet you. I enjoyed listening to you very much. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Bye bye. Take care. Bye bye.